Hi, I'm Tom Bradbury. I am uh, an orthopedic surgeon at uh, Emory in Atlanta, and I am the residency program director for our residency program in orthopedic surgery. You're listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Tom Bradbury, Program Director of Orthopedic Surgery at Emory. Doc, how are we doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for being with us. So starting out, what was your mentality heading into your residency, and how did that change throughout your fellowship? Yeah, for, for me, um, I tend to be relatively simple-minded. My goals going into residency were very clear-cut. I wanted to learn how to be a clinician. I wanted to be the best surgeon and the best uh, orthopedic uh, physician possible. And so I literally, throughout my residency training, focused almost exclusively on that, almost to the detriment of, of other endeavors. And so my, my goal was very clear. And then heading into that last year of your fellowship, you know, what was your mentality and into your first job search process and how that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say that um, because of my focus on learning how to practice my art, I sort of um, didn't pay as much attention to the real life aspect of getting a job and getting a career started. And so I remember thinking to myself at the end of my PGY4 year, the start of my PGY5 year, someone said, so you know, what are you gonna do for a job? And it was literally the first time it had ever crossed my mind. Um, and started to realize I was a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of getting that process going. Cause it's my thought that it's really never too early to start thinking about that and at least making some provisions for where you see yourself in terms of getting that job search started. So literally as a PGY five, I kind of had not a panic attack, but, but I realized that, that I needed to start focus on, focusing on other issues than learning how to practice medicine. Uh, and so at that point, I kind of sat down with my wife and we discussed, um, first things first, the overall balance of life and what we were after. And I think that's an important thing to do. I think that um, our careers in medicine are really important and the influence, the potential we have to have a positive influence on the well-being of others is a big deal. But it's also important to understand that there is more to life than a career in medicine and your family and the environment in which you work is a really important part of that. Uh, and so we sort of approached it in, in that mindset um, and sort of thought about job environments to work in. And I knew I had uh, an interest in staying in the educational realm and the realm to do some research. And so knew I wanted to either be in a, either an academic environment or a uh, kind of a quote unquote privademics environment where it was a private practice that did high quality clinical work, but also was involved in education and research. And there's a lot of examples of that, especially in orthopedics across the country. And so then we started narrowing our search a little bit purely based on, on those parameters. Um, having said that, I thought about 
pure private practice jobs all the way through pure academic jobs and sort of looked at a lot of uh, hybrid models uh, in the middle. Um, and also um, wanted to make sure that the place I practiced, I had an opportunity for success from a business standpoint. And it's my opinion that there are certain locales um, in everywhere where it's a very appealing place to live. And because of that, you get a lot of professionals. I don't care whether it's medicine or law or whatever. And so there are certain uh, regions where um, orthopedic surgery is relatively saturated with providers and the, the patient population may not be robust enough to support um, a lot of the business endeavors that, that someone may have. And so that also factored in uh, to, to my decision about kind of actual regions to look at. And um, so was fairly consistent about where I was looking based somewhat on, on those parameters. And then the other thing that, that I kind of used was, I, I sort of treated this like, um, uh, you know, getting married, right? So when I would interview, I would just kind of ask around and figure out, you know, the caliber of person and the, um, how people acted toward their partners with the understanding that in my mind, if someone's has a job and they're cheating on their wife, well, they're going to have a low threshold for cheating on me as a partner and, and, you know, not being, um, uh, you know, honest with me and, and treating me fairly. And so I really try to pay attention to the kind of the background noise and, and the, um, and the environments that I was interviewing uh, with. And that's unusual, but it's just something that you got to sort of, I think, uh, keep your, your eye on is that a, a tiger doesn't necessarily change his stripes, whether it's in his personal life or professional life. So I try to use that. If, if something didn't pass the smell test, I sort of, uh, you know, sort of looking elsewhere to some extent. Um, and then as, you know, fellowship evolved, those kind of foundational thoughts sort of became a little bit more solidified and I was able to narrow down a little bit more. Um, and the, the other thing that, that I think is important is as you're going through your training career and you're building relationships in the area that you're in, remember, you're going to leverage those relationships for references wherever you're going next. And so it, it behooves you to be a nice person who tells the truth that smiles and does a good job, right? Be somebody, be yourself, but be somebody that people um, enjoy being around. Uh, and I think that's sometimes in medicine gets completely lost in the pursuit of practicing um, you know, the art uh, but it's a really important uh, part uh, of uh, of life, uh, in my opinion. Look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, tell the truth, um, treat everybody with respect, um, limit the, the 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 episodes where you feel like you're going to blow up and and you know have an outburst because you're frustrated and angry about something. It's usually best to step back, let it cool off, and and then go reapproach it later after you've had some time to to kind of mull it over and think about it and. and I can tell you a lot of times where I had a little episode where I was more aggressive and not as respectful and professional as I should have been. And it was really regretful because it comes back to haunt you in ways you have no idea. And so that was uh, also important to me is to make sure that while I was training, I was developing relationships and lifelong friendships that I could use to help me further my career farther down the line. Now on that same mindset, what would you say were some of the keys in your success that shaped your early career as you climb the ranks in the academic system? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you that from a clinical standpoint, I'm a big believer in um, quality of communication with patients. Um, people recognize that, and people always talk about bedside manner. Um, and it may not be as important for a surgeon, but I'll tell you that in any facet of medicine, um, if you have the skills and, and develop the skills to communicate well and clearly uh, and be kind, it goes a long way. And it's the best advertisement that you can have is to treat a patient well, do a good job with the surgery. You don't have to be the best surgeon in the world, but if you uh, do a good job with the surgery and treat somebody very well and you're responsive and you communicate clearly with them, they're going to go tell a bunch of people about a good experience with you. If you do the opposite and either are rude or arrogant or don't communicate well, they're going to go tell 10 times as many people about that experience. And so be your own walking advertisement with the way you treat others. Um, certainly putting a billboard up in town saying you're the best surgeon in the world will help you temporarily, but that usually lasts about a week. And as soon as you take that billboard down, the money you spend on that uh, is not going to be um, have a high return on investment. Um, and so I, I think that um, communicating clearly, communicating well, and treating others with kindness and respect is, is, a, is a key to success. And I think if you look at folks that are successful in medicine that have mature, well-developed practices, most of them use that and leverage that, that, uh, that kind of uh, mindset. I think that's uh, really important. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kind of tell everybody as you're starting your career, you're never busy enough for the first several years and you're turning the faucet, the clinical faucet on constantly turning it in the counterclockwise way as hard as you can. And then usually in about four or five years, if you've done a good job and you've been kind, that network has been um, built enough where a, a net is cast. And all of a sudden you start realizing, well, there's a lot of folks that, that I can help. Um, maybe I ought to stop turning this faucet on for a little bit, just let it, let it stay there. And then a couple more years go by, you keep doing a good job, and then you're trying, to, you're trying to turn it off a little bit. And that's when you know it's time to recruit some help and find a, a partner that, um, that has the same values uh, that you do. Uh, and so that was kind of my... Uh, approach to it. And, you know, I think in today's training environment, especially in orthopedics, unfortunately, because volume has become a necessary evil as it relates to business and patient care. Um, when you're training, you're used to a high volume of patient encounters and opportunities to take care of people. But when you start, very few of us are lucky enough to, to, to get in a clinical practice that has that immediately. And it takes time. And so use that time to develop your protocols, develop your practice. Um, and uh, uh, if you do a good job, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy in, in, in that regard. And you will eventually be looking to turn the faucet, turn it down a little bit so you can take good quality care of, of, uh, of people. Can you briefly take us through your stepping stones on the journey to become program director? Yeah, I mean, um, that's not something that I always thought I would do. Um, I absolutely love it. It's probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, I was very interested in evolution of the trainee. Uh, and I still think it's fascinating to spend five years with someone and to think about them as a, an intern or a PGY1 and how 
not lost you are, but just unfamiliar you are with, with the world. And then the most, the best story I can give you about this is having my own daughter treated by one of my chief residents, knowing that she had a bad injury and he was better than me, partly because of the influence that we had had on him in his five-year evolution. And I will never forget that. It was one of the most fulfilling um, experiences of life. And for me, that was what the interest was, was, was taking a, 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 a product uh, and turning it into something that you would want your family uh, to see in terms of, of seeking treatment. Um, and, and that's the, the main thing that interests me. I, I, I do enjoy the academic and the educational part of it, but it's really the, the development of the person and the surgeon that, that really uh, I enjoy the most with this job. What advice do you have for the graduating chief residents and the fellows entering the professional job market for the first time? Yep. First advice piece I would have is it's never too early to start thinking about it, right? Uh, and don't do what I did. Don't wait till the end of your PGY five year. That's too late. If you grew up in a town and you think you're, uh, you have an inclination to go back uh, to that specific area, make phone calls early. There's nothing wrong with calling groups across town and say, hey, I'm Joe Schmo. I'm going to be finished with my training at this time. I'm going to be coming into the job market. I just, number one, I wanted to say hi and just see what you guys are thinking about and where I may fit into possible job opportunities. Um, and, and do that more than you think you need to do because it's amazing how many times people remember, hey, you remember that guy Joe Schmo that called? He sounded like a nice guy on the phone call. Let's give him a call and see, you know, uh, what, what, what's, um, you know, what he's up to and what he's interested in. And so it's never too early to start that process. Um, and um, that's really the, the main advice that, that, that I would give is be thinking about it. I think that we are oftentimes in um, pigs ready for slaughter when we get out of training. We are so, like I was, you're so focused on the clinical side that you sort of don't realize there's a lot more to life than just pure medicine. And the people that think that they're going to go purely practice medicine and not deal with administrative needs or other professional um, uh, issues that come up, it just doesn't exist. And I think that there's a reason that a, a third to 50% of orthopedic surgeons change jobs within the first two years is because, um, re, you know, unfortunately, the, the reality is it's just as busy as training right? It's just, you're doing something different. You do have the luxury of making your own decisions for yourself, but you're still going to be busy. It is not going to be this, I'm done with my five years in the trench and, and I've done my fellowship and now it's all a cakewalk. It's still a demanding job that requires a lot of manpower and a lot of input. Um, and, um, you know, I think that salary, your first three or four years should have nothing to do with your job decision. Everybody loves, you know, their, their first contract where you're going to make a lot of money. Usually you got to be careful about those job opportunities um, or, or those, those types of contracts. I would say it is much more important to focus on the resources that that um, job opportunity will provide you at year five. Cause that's when, if you've been doing your job, your practice will be mature. And if, that institution can provide you with the resources to provide relatively high volume quality care. You'll be much happier than if you got a big payout in the beginning 
and there's nothing behind it. And it year two, three or four, you're starting to realize, Hey, this, this isn't going to go much further than this. I'm kind of in a dead end, dead end road. And so I, I would say focus on um, five years deep in terms of where that environment can, um, can provide you with resources as opposed to year one, two or three. Now with everything being basically virtual now, all these annual conferences have gone online. What advice do you have for the graduating class regarding their networking and outreaching process? Yeah, um, I think, it, to be honest with you, it may be a little bit easier in the job application world than it is applying for residency or fellowship because um, a lot of times, like I mentioned before, your job opportunities are going to come from a known relationship that you have um, or at least who you're interviewing with is going to directly communicate with someone that knows you. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of advantages to vir the virtual world, right? The fact that you can be in LA and I can be in Atlanta and we can have a face-to-face -face conversation and we didn't travel anywhere is, you know, it's hard to believe that we haven't done this more for a lot of these things. But I think for, for job interviews, it offers a lot because, um, you know, um, in comparison to where you are going to be somewhere for a long period of time, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's an interview. Now um, it's often nice to go shake hands and watch people's body language and make sure you fully understand the, the physical location of, um, of places you're looking to practice. But I think virtual interviews are a great place to start and then narrow the search down further based on what you get uh, with, uh, you know, with a, a virtual uh, conversation with somebody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of interview with the surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.